It's very good to be with you guys today, bringing the word of the Lord to you. And we're going to begin a new service, I mean a new um, sermon series this week called Trust in Action. And that phrase that Pastor John Piper, by the way, if you recognize that voice, um, that phrase in the, towards the end of that video is something that we're going to build this series around over the next three to four weeks. And as we look at Trust in Action, go to the next slide with me, please. Message number one, more than a cliché. You see, trusting God has to be more than that, doesn't it? It has to be more than you and I just say, well, just trust God. <laughs> just, sometimes we, we take that little phrase, well, just trust God, and, and we use it when we don't know what else to say because someone has come to us and they've poured out their heart to us and they tell you all these things that are going on in their life and that there's kind of some risk and there's some, some things that they don't know what's going on. Maybe they have a choice to make. And when somebody doesn't know how to respond to you, they say, well, just trust God. Or we say it when we're just giving up, right? When we're just like, we've come to our, our wit's end with it. We're, we're all out of resource. We're all out of options. And we just kind of give up. We say, well, I'm just going to trust God with that. Meaning that there's some sort of distance between us and God. That I'm just going to leave that over there, like, like with him. The problem with the phrase, just trust God, is the word just. Because that's when we feel like, well, we're not really participating anymore, that we're just going to trust God with it and kind of leave it. Um, in the Bible, there's this idea of man and God cooperating in everything that God does. And to say just trust God is a popular cliche because it's a powerful truth, because we do need to trust God, Right? And, and we're not going to move forward in our lives without trusting God. So we know that there is the necessity of trusting God, but the, sometimes there's the cliche of trusting God, and we give up, we say it because we don't know what else to say, or we say it because it's the right thing to say. Well, I'm trusting God, but meanwhile, you're really not. Meanwhile, you're taking things into your own hands, you're, you're acting out of rebellion, you're doing things that are unhealthy, you're doing things that are unhelpful, you're doing things, but you're saying, well, I'm just trusting God, but I'm over here doing this. Well, I'm just trusting God, but I'm pushing my agenda with God. And so in order to move out away from cliches, I want you to start learning how to trust God by obeying, by being patient, by all sorts of things. So it begins to look like, instead of using it as, as a phrase in which we're just giving up and we don't know what else to say, it's a, it's a phrase of trusting God that is going to define how you move forward from that point on. So if I say, I just lost my job, I'm going to trust God. Okay, that, that's good. I'm going to trust God. I just lost my job, and I'm going to trust God by rewriting my resume and sending it out, <laughs> okay? I'm going to trust God by not taking the first job that comes my way, though it would be a disastrous and a mismatch for me in my life. It's the first job that came my way, so I'm just going to take it. No, we're going to trust God by being wise, by being patient, and all of those things. So we're going to talk today and we're going to look at that phrase that Piper said. Go to the next, yeah, right there. 
God's plan is not a code to be deciphered. It is a plan to be trusted. And some of us act like it is a code because we're trying to figure it out. We say, well, God has a plan. Okay. All right, God, you have a plan. I don't know what it is, so I'm going to find it. I'm going to pull some verses out of the Bible that sound like really cool and sound like, you know, it'll be really what I want. And so I'm going to take some of these wonderful promises all in the Bible, some of these wonderful words that are right here on my page, and I'm going to claim them as my own, like that like phrase, right? So I'm going to read these passages, and I'm going to say, well, I'm going to claim that as my own. Well, that much might, might be you. That might be your own desires. That might be your own activity. That might be you taking some really wacky theology and trying to make it so it works for you. Could be like you trying to manipulate God because you've read some words in your Bible and you say, God, you said, so you must. And then we're trying to get God to do, do our thing. Well, let's slow down a moment and realize that you are not responsible, nor capable for that matter, of figuring out God's will for your life. So sometimes when we're dealing with life situations and you say, well, I'm just trying to figure out God's plan in this. It's not your responsibility. God's not sitting up there going, well, when you figure it out, when you find it, and maybe playing hot and cold with you, ooh, getting warmer. Oh, no, you're frozen. Don't go over there. That's good. So instead of doing that, we have to trust. Now, trust, oh, boy. Trust is a problem right? Trust is a problem and an increasing problem with the world that we live in today. Because right now, anybody in charge of anything is suspect. That's the culture we live in. If you're in charge of anything, you're suspect for manipulation, you're suspect for lies, people aren't going to trust you because you hold an office. And I realize that. I realize that I'm a pastor of a church. I realize that. And so I have to immediately say, I am in charge of something. Therefore, in the current cultural climate, people are going to kind of look at me, mm, no, no. You know, he has to say that because he's the pastor. He has to do that because he's the pastor. And you know, he's got a board and he's got people in above him, district superintendents, general superintendents. You've got this structure, and he's part of the minutia of religion. And so he has to say certain things because he's the pastor. So I don't know. Can I really trust him? Can I really trust him? Well, so I have to know that. I have to realize that a lot of people that do what I do for a living, lead a church, a lot of people have done some, a lot of stupid things. A lot of people with the title pastor have been ridiculously dishonest and horribly double-minded and have lived shadow lives. I realize that, so I take that on and I say, okay, people that do what I do and have the title that I have have done some really bad things. Therefore, as I step out into the world as a person with that title, I realize that I need to help recover some ground that has maybe been lost. So I need to be extra careful. Have I ever cheated on my wife? No. But do I have boundaries in place so that people will trust me? Yes. I have agreements with the church board and bringing on Gail into our director of leadership. Her and I will never meet alone together. We just don't do that. Don't do that. Don't meet with any women alone. We just don't do that. Why? Because people with the title pastor have done some horrendous things. That's why. We don't do that. 
So you can feel good about it. And you can say, you know what? Our pastor's not living this double life. He has all these checks and balances. He has accountability partners. He has this close circle of men around him that hold him accountable. He has a mentor. He has a church board. He has policies. We've set up all of these things because people that have my title do stupid things, right? And so we know that we're living in an age where people, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, because I'm a pastor, I'm going to tread lightly here and maybe not so lightly at certain moments this morning. But we have been, over the last two years, I think you and I would agree, and I don't think I'm giving you anything new. Over the last two years, we have been lied to more times than we can count. And you, just, you probably today have certain ideas about what I might mean by that. You might think, as I say, we've been lied to across the board over the last two years about a lot of things. You might take that statement and think that I'm some sort of conspiracy theorist. Maybe. You might think that I think someone else is lying to us. I didn't say who lied to us. I didn't tell you who I think is lying to us. I just said someone's lying. Because I think I'm smart enough to figure out that when I look across the board and all this conflicting news and ever-changing things and different opinions among experts, and I look at the experts that are supposed to know what's going on and they don't know what's going on, I think I'm smart enough to just look at the whole crew and go, somebody's lying. I don't know who. Somebody is lying. And because I study the Scriptures and the historicity of Scriptures, I'm currently reading a book and trying to look into the, this topic of... Um, discrepancies within ancient manuscripts. I'm kind of diving into that world, been there a little bit, but now re-diving in there. I've come to this conclusion as I stand here with you today. I can gain a better knowledge of what happened in the first century than than what happened yesterday. I am more convinced that I have the truth about the first century in my hands than if I should go online, pick up a newspaper, listen to the news of what happened tomorrow or what happened yesterday and what will happen tomorrow. I, I, I don't know. But I've got 2,000 years of scholars looking at this book. And I've got 2,000 years of research that I can go back to and look at and read and dive into. And every corner, every time I turn around, I go, this thing is accurate. (laughs) This thing holds up. I don't think our politicians are holding up too well. I don't think our news broadcasters are holding up too well. Some of our health professionals, oh my gosh. But every time I turn around, this holds true. And I am more convinced than ever that what I hold in my hand and you have in yours can be trusted far beyond anything that comes our way today. And so this morning, I want to address this with you because of the lack of trust in our society today, we have an opportunity to point people to trust in God. That is my mission. That is our goal. Honestly, I don't know whose doctor you should trust. Don't know. I don't know. I've had doctors tell me a bunch of different things. So I'm praying, doing the best of what I think I should do for myself and walking a path that I think the Lord would have me to walk. That's why here at our church, Whatever path you take, try to take med- medically, that's your responsibility. Do the research. Open your eyes. Do your own reading. Don't take anything that I say. 
for granted. Don't take anything anybody says. Do your own research. Take responsibility for your life and make your decisions according to what works for you and your family. And some of you have chosen to be here this morning. Some of you have chosen to listen online and watch online. That's your decision to make. We're here to provide the Word of God for you. We're here to provide fellowship for you. We're here to provide times of worship for you and biblical instruction. How you choose to receive that, that's up to you. You have the freedom to pray and do accordingly. It's our responsibility to provide spiritual nourishment and fellowship to you. So, with this idea, we must make the statement, trust God, more than a Christian cliche. This is our opportunity. This is our moment. This is our time. When trust has been destroyed all across the frontier of our country, all across the political landscape, many places in the church, all across the medical field, no one trusts anybody. Everybody's looking and listening as though the person talking to them has some sort of hidden agenda, and they probably do. See, I just joined in. Because it is a miracle of God that I am a Christian, because I am skeptical of everybody. Somebody opens their mouth, I assume they're lying. Somebody asks me to do something, I'm assuming they're manipulating me. I'm like, what do you want? Just get it out so you tell me what you want. I'll give it to you. You can move on and stop wasting my time. I am an overwhelming skeptic. And when I look at the scriptures, when I, was, I told you this guy this a thousand times, if you're new to us, this would be new to you. But as a young Bible college student studying to do what I'm doing now, as I was studying, working on my degree in biblical studies, I was standing in my hallway one day at 21 years old, and I thought, well, if I'm going to give my life to this thing, how do I know that this is true? I can't just go onto this Bible college campus and assume these profs are telling me everything that's true. How do I know? Of course they're going to tell me it's true. They're Bible college professors. So as I was working on my degree, I also had to do my own little side studies. Well, let's see. Let's take a peek over here. <laughs> And I wanted to go around and read everything and look at everything that people were telling me not to read. Well, why not? If you, oh, you shouldn't read that. That's bad theology. Oh, I'm going to go read it then. Because <laughs> I, oh, don't listen to that preacher. He's, oh, then I'm going to dive in. I'm going to read everything and I'm going to listen to everything he says. Well, because I got to know. I got to know. So for five years, I earned my degree in biblical studies and I did my own work in apologetics. I dabbled in philosophy and science, and I've kept my toes in those areas for 25 years. No, I'm not a scientist. No, I'm not a philosopher. I am a pastor, but I have my big old floppy ears attuned to what's going on in those, those worlds. So how do we do this then? What are some practical things that you and I can do to remove this idea of just trust God, right? Some people have done some stupid things. I'm going to trust God and quit my job before I have another one. Well, that, that's stupid. That's, that's zany. Okay. I think one thing, one place we can go to start off is this. Trust God where we live. Trust God right here. Notice Psalm 37 verse 3 says this. Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land, and befriend faithfulness. There are three very practical things that you and I can do right now. Because with one thing we're dealing with today is, especially here in California, okay, is we're dealing with this I have to get out of here kind of mentality, right? 
Okay? Now, traditionally, tradition, <laughs> traditionally, do you know where that I have to get out of here mentality comes from? That comes from some weird theology and some weird philosophy around the intertestamental period. The timing between the Old Testament and the New Testament, about a 400-year period, where there was this philosophy, some people know it as Platonic dualism, there was this philosophy that what we have in the physical is not really reality, it's not, it's not real, it's just kind of a mirage of reality, it's just kind of our experience. But that which is in the non-physical, in the mental, in the spiritual, that's where reality is. And so in order for you and I to be free from all that we're struggling with, we have to get out of here. I need freedom from this body. I need freedom from my physical limitations. I need freedom from my physical appetites. And I need to get out of my physical and into the spiritual, and then I'll be okay. See, now that sounds like a lot of theology, doesn't it? But it wasn't theological at all. So this whole mentality of, well, the earth is going to burn up anyway. I can't wait to get out of here and go to heaven because Jesus is coming back. We're waiting for the rapture. Everything else is horrible. We hate it here. We're going there. Not in the Bible. Not Christianity. It's an old, ancient philosophy that here is bad, there is better, and so I have to get out of here. Hmm. Now, God might have you leave here. God might have you on somewhere else he might take you somewhere worse don't know that's for you to decide that's for God to work in your life but this mentality of flight will sometimes have you blinded to what God wants to do right now and I know a little bit of what I speak Because I literally wasted three years of my life thinking that I needed to be somewhere else while God wanted me to use me where I was. And three solid years, I was not present. I wasn't present. I was present physically. I wasn't present mentally. I wasn't present, present emotionally. And I wasn't focused on what God had right in front of me to do because I thought I needed to be in a different place doing a different thing and wasted three years. We need to be here. So the question is, as I sit here, and as I realize the problem, and as I have the struggle, what good can I do? Before the service, Wes didn't know it, but he was giving me a sermon illustration. He came to me in the foyer, and he said, I like to ask this question every week to somebody. And I say, what good deed have you done for somebody this week? That is awesome. That's a great question. He didn't even know it, but right there in the foyer, he's giving me a sermon illustration. And I'm thinking, thank you very much. I'll use that today. And then he showed me pictures of some things that he did for someone this week who had recently lost their husband and he came into the home and was fixing up some stuff for them. And that is a good thing, right? Is there a lot going on? Yeah. A lot of people lying to us? Yes. But someone lost their husband recently and needed some work done around their house, so Wes stepped in to do it. Do good. Do something good. That's one way to trust God. I don't have any money, I lost my job, I'm sick, people are lying to me, I don't know what's going on, I'm going to get out of here. Time out. 
why not take all that that is true about, yes, you're being lied to, yes, there's all kinds of struggles, yes, there's all kinds of chaos, yes, 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 now let's go do something good for someone. And perhaps in doing something good for someone, you will discover God's will for your life. And then dwell in the land. I think I've dwelled on that enough. Tough crowd. (laughs) And then befriend faithfulness. Well, if you're being lied to, what is the best thing you could do? You be the faithful one. If everybody around us is lying, then you be faithful. You tell the truth. This is your opportunity. If we can't trust anybody, if we have a group, let's say just us right here. Let's say we're all saying, I don't have anybody to trust. Okay, well, who's going to step up and be the first one? Who's going to start doing good? Who's going to really be present? And who's going to start telling the truth so that perhaps there can be one person in this church that you and I can trust? Maybe you need to step up into that. Maybe, there's, maybe your neighborhood is full of people that can't be trusted. Maybe where you work, everybody's a liar and a cheater and a manipulator. Everyone. Well, everyone won't be everyone if you're the only one that stands up and now there'll be somebody. Now there'll be somebody. You can be that person in your home. You can be that person in your family, in your neighborhood, in your job. You can be that person that befriends faithfulness. Moving on, I think that we can also, in Psalm 40, verse 4, we can learn to trust God by not trusting prideful liars. I'm not here to tell you who those are today. I have some opinions. I do. I'm a a person. I know I have this title pastor in front of me, and I know I've told you that I'm trying to stay down the middle with most of this stuff. But I have opinions. Some of them are probably screwy, just to let you know. But I'm what you would call a middle-of-the-road adapter. As you look across the landscape of creative people, there are people that uh, they create, right? They're innovators. They're out there taking the risk to look stupid. And they make all the mistakes. They take all the risk. And when something new is created, they should get some credit. I'm not one of those. And then you have early adapters. Those folks, those early adapters, they're quick to believe, They're like, they see the innovators creating, and an early adapter jumps right in. And they're like, I'm in. Look at this guy's creating. I know some people think he's kind of screwy, but man, I really like it. I'm going to be, I'm I'm early in. I'm first one into the pool. Let's go. And then there's me. I'm watching the innovators. I don't quite have the guts to step out like they do. And then I'm watching the early adapters to see how it works. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Maybe I'll also don't want to be left behind. I also don't want to be the last one in the pool. And so I have this fear of stepping out too much and this fear of lagging behind too much and I kind of find myself a nice little comfortable spot in the middle when some people are doing it and it seems to be working. Before I get left in the dust, I'm in. That's kind of how I operate. And so when I'm looking at things and Early on with this whole pandemic and all that was going on, early on I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not making any decisions. I'm not making anything. I, and by the way, it was when Susan had an accident. She was, I was her nurse. She was in the hospital for the first nine days when everything shut down. I could have cared less about the pandemic. Didn't care. I managed to hide myself in the hospital room when they started having people leave. I hid out for 36 hours till they caught me. I think ordering the cheeseburger from the cafeteria gave me away. And they wheeled Susan out for another surgery. 
And they're like, what are you doing in here? Dang it. You have to leave. Um, arguing won't help, will it? No, I don't want to have to go get security. Ah, rats. All right, see you later. My 36-hour hideout was discovered and I had to go home. And then I lost my job at the school because different things and finances and COVID and all that stuff, right? So yes, at the beginning, we're like, ah. And then God just kind of started showing up and doing all these crazy things in my life. And it was amazing. So trust God by not trusting prideful liars. Here it is, verse 40. You apply it to who you think it applies. Names are going to fly through your brain faster than I can talk when I read this verse to you. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not trust, do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You fill in the blanks. I know, some of you have faces flashing before your eyes right now. Liar, 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 pride, pride, liar, pride. They're all flowing through your head right now. And hopefully my face doesn't fly into yours when I, when I say prideful or liar. Hopefully I'm not part of that group. And all across this church and watching online, you have different opinions about the, who those people might be. Do your research. Keep your eyes open. Keep your ears open. Listen. Pray. Seek for discernment. And trust the Lord. Not prideful liars. I'm not telling you who they are. <laughs> Another psalm that comes to mind is Psalm 62.8. says, trust God by pouring your heart out to Him. Now here's where the rubber meets the road when we're struggling, right? Psalm 62, 8 says this, Trust in Him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. And then that word selah, which means stop and reflect. You know, it's okay. It's okay to pour out your heart before God when you're angry. He knows you are. You might as well just let it out. Oh, I've prayed prayers and I have prayers written down that my wife and children are not allowed to see. They're tucked away in a private spot at home. I'm not telling you because you'll, you'll look for it now. I have written prayers. The pen did wild things and words flew out of my mouth that are very inappropriate words most likely. But it was me pouring my heart out before God said, I don't understand. And I don't like it and I hate it. And I actually prayed one prayer that I'll tell you. God, I know too much to turn my back on you. I know too much. But if there was another option, I would take it. That's what, I, that's what your pastor told God. But I knew too much. Because I studied all the reasons to believe in God. I studied the existence of evil compared to good. Read all that. So when evil came to my front door, it didn't come at me in a way that I didn't understand. I understood it, but I didn't like it. I knew why evil exists. I have no logical problems with the reasons for evil and the existence of evil. But I didn't like it, and I don't like it. And as I poured out my heart before God, you know what he did with that? He slapped me across. No. I really felt the Lord speak to my heart. Well, it's about time you were honest. 
And he poured his grace into my heart and his mercy into my life. And he helped me stay on a path that he put me on 30-something years ago. Because I know many people, many people walk away from their faith when tragedy comes their way. Because so many people with my title, pastor, have told you, oh, just, just trust Jesus, everything will turn out right. Oh, just trust Jesus, your relative won't die. Oh, just trust Jesus, you won't lose your job. Oh, trust Jesus, no one's going to come in and disrupt your life with evil. Oh, no, no, they're going to. And all through the scriptures, Jesus told you, it's going to get ugly. Evil is prevalent. That God's judgment has not fallen yet. And we're living in a place that one of our former district superintendents would say, we're living in a very salty world. <laughs> but then he used that analogy. He said, you know, when you eat fish out of the ocean, does it taste salty? No. But it's swimming in salt water. I know. But it's not salty. See, we're swimming in evil. But that doesn't need to penetrate my heart. That doesn't need to shape my mind. That doesn't make, need to make me evil. That doesn't need to make me salty. Some of my high school students, I don't know where that phrase came from. I'd snap at them a little bit and say, Mr. Hobbs, you're salty today. Okay. I don't know. See, I've been out of the high school loop for two years now. I don't know what the new lingo is. I, I'm lost. I'm a, just a lost cause. But I remember salty. And I don't know about this, but someone called me and another group of teachers the plastics. I, who is? Anybody know who that is? I don't know, why would they look at, you guys are the plastics. I don't know what that means. It's something like we're mean or something. Some of you are laughing and you know what that means and you've got to like tell others. Because some people are looking at me like, what, what do you want? You're watching online, you're like, the plastics, hey, idiot, and you're yelling at your TV. You know what it is. Help me out. Amen. That's right, Alice. Let me know. And then the last thing. Trusting God by not leaning on your own understanding. Proverbs 3.5 Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Don't ever come to the place where you think, I've got it all figured out, God, I've got this. 